This is the Retail Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on market scale. We're on that third mega trend where consumers really have taken over the shopping channel. They're walking into stores a lot more informed. We don't hide from the fact that retail is difficult. You know, every day is a challenge, but that excites the customer. They love that. Welcome to the Retail Industry Podcast brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, James Kent, and joining us today as we kick off the busy retail shopping season is Deanne Campbell, Director of Retail Strategy and Development at Harbor Retail. Thanks for joining me on this episode, Deanne. Thank you for having me. Deanne is here to talk to me today about Harmonic Retail, which she describes as Omnichannel Evolved. I think this is a perfect place to begin our discussion. Deanne, what exactly is Harmonic Retail and why do you think of it as omni-channel evolved? A retailer may have multiple channels, social media, e-commerce, stores, but each channel is designed to work on a, along a set path to purchase. So customers are asked to adapt their journey to conform to that channel, uh, much like Everyone who goes on to a website to make a purchase has to do the same clicks and the same steps to get to that buy button. And switching between channels often means starting your journey over. Harmonic retail, on the other hand, is all about flexibility and staying in tune with the customer. And if you if you think about a website, it's designed to look and even work differently on a mobile phone than it does on a PC screen. It's it's responsive to the to the screen. Well, harmonic retail is very similar. It's responsive to the customer. It asks all those channels to adapt and flex to stay in tune with that customer as they move along their path to purchase. So are you saying that the prevailing wisdom was, well, someone may shop in the store or that person may shop online this way or that way, but never the two shall beat. So everybody wanted to cover all the channels that someone might make a purchase as opposed to how that buyer will actually purchase and they may be utilizing a combination of all of these factors. Absolutely. And even in different store formats, whether it's a pop-up that you've just come across as you're walking down the street and you want to go in and shop and that all the things that you were looking at online are there with you in the, in the pop-up or you were having a chat with somebody online that is an employee that's very knowledgeable and you feel like you've built a rapport with them, why can't you take them into the store with you when you go to shop? So it should be navigating the channels however works best for you. But in addition to that, navigating the customer journey however it works best for you. You know, you just said something that was kind of interesting. Maybe you're a great person to ask this question. I've noticed this in the past couple of years, pop-ups are becoming more popular. I'm seeing those at seasonality, uh, a store that maybe, you know, wouldn't make sense year round comes, you know, into play in a season where maybe I could get that online at the at the company all year round, but now I have a store I can go into. Um, and I like that. I love it. I think it's it's very exciting as an evolution and it's really harmonic retail in action. So you have a special product, you don't want to have to rejig your entire store for it, create a pop-up. And more importantly, you want to be out there where your customers are. I, I like to say the store of the future is not a store. It's any way that your customers can get to know you better. And a pop-up is a really powerful tool to be able to engage with your customers in an unexpected place. A good example is IKEA. They 
took over a subway stop and had a shoppable pop-up store in that subway for a couple of weeks. And it was extremely unexpected. And it, it exposed a whole new group of shoppers to Ikea. Where was that? That was in Asia. <laughs> oh, my goodness. My, my wife would be like, she, when I tell her this, she, she's going to be so fascinated because these are great ideas, right? The unexpected. Uh, when people come into contact with a brand in a way that they had not thought of before. Right. Exactly. You have harmonic retail kind of broken down into five truths that capture the shift that's happening with Omnichannel. And I thought it'd be great to talk about these and maybe you could uh, elaborate on what these five uh, truths are. Sure. I, I did actually start out with 10, but our marketing team kind of to ask me to be a little bit more <laughs> <laughs> concise. So, um, but it's really about the shifting retail environment. So we'll start at the beginning. The retail landscape as a whole is going through a huge evolution. You're seeing a lot of companies go under, you're seeing a lot of bankruptcies, a lot of takeovers, a lot of mergers. And it all comes down to one underlying stat. And that is that our country's annual growth rate is at an all-time low. It's hovering around 0.6% birth rate each year. That's the lowest level we've had since 1937. And what that means is we are not making tomorrow's shoppers. And at the same time, because of market forces, um, in, you know, tariffs and, and political climate, and in addition, the flexibility of being able to work from home our country is also at its lowest rate of geographical mobility, long distance moves between states and across country. It's hovering around 10%, which is the lowest rate since World War II. Um, and that- so people are staying put. They're staying put. They're not having children. There are actually more pets in the, in the country. People have more pets in their household today than they do with children. So um, if, Retail's traditional growth model is built around identifying a target demographic and hoping to draw more and more of that demographic into your store each year for set growth, target growth. That's not going to work going forward because we're not making those tomorrow's shoppers. So what do you do when you are kind of stuck in a stagnant place and you're increasingly competing for the same shopper and at the same time, the climate is very supportive of allowing new retailers to come onto the scene and the markets are becoming saturated in different ways. So all of that has kind of led to, okay, what do you do now? Because it's just not going to work going forward. And so that kind of led to the creation of Harmonic Retail. Harmonic Retail is supported by creating that flexibility and responsiveness and that is achieved by instituting as many tools and services and functions as you possibly can across channels. And so talking about the five truths and breaking it down, it really applies to those tools. Have I obfuscated enough? <laughs> well, I want to hear about these tools. Well, um, one of them is the most important one is stores. E-commerce needs stores. It, it's kind of, uh, they, they just go together like peas and carrots, <laughs> uh, to quote uh, Forrest Gump. But 
Well, I still shop. I still shop at the stores, and you know, I was out. Uh, there was a very busy holiday weekend that we just had, and uh, I was out at the stores, and so were many. It was, but if you look at the stats, there was actually an increase in online purchases and a decrease in in-store purchases. And the truth is, in in harmonic retail, you might never sell an item in a store. It might you might never physically trade money in a store. However, that store is integral and critical to that online sale that you just made. And so where you see stores and direct-to-consumer companies have figured this out, where you see stores opening, you'll see online sales lift anywhere from 20 to 50% in that area. And conversely, where companies have closed stores, companies like The Gap, wherever they've closed a store, they've seen an almost 10% drop in online sales. So stores are critical to create that overall sale to to the business. And so you can't have one or the other. You really truly need both in some fashion. Well, you know, I, I'll agree with you because I was out this past weekend and where I live, a little bit more of a remote area, not as many places to shop, but I was traveling to an area that was, but I wasn't going to necessarily buy a bunch of things. However, I was shopping. I was looking and getting ideas from various uh, relatives and things who might also, you know, be looking for, say, a, a gift coming up. And so I was looking at the stores to see what I would need, but I wasn't necessarily ready to buy. But now that I'm back, I may be going back to those stores online to make those purchases. That's absolutely right, which is why stores are really critical to online sales. And it's really interesting to me how typically retail measures those two things differently. They measure sales per square foot for justifying how big to make a store or uh, where to put a store. And they measure dwell time, um, online purchases, things like that online. And they don't marry the two up. And really, by now, retail should be developing one set API, which is overall sales, and trying to understand the path to purchase and what supports making that sale. My oldest son now is at an age where you know he has a phone. And, you know, in holiday wish lists past, there may have been a list that gets brought to the relatives. And this year, he has looked for things that he wants online, and he grabs a link, and he texts it to one of the relatives. And now the relatives, they may be buying that same product online, but they may actually going out to physically make a purchase uh, because they're out shopping and want to get that gift. So now it, you know, it goes all the way cross states from one child on the internet, sending it to a relative who then goes and either makes that purchase online or goes to the store and makes the purchase. Well, and that leads perfectly to the second truth, which is the importance of click and collect. Click and collect is is now a, an essential in retail and the value that it brings is exponential. So what if you made that purchase of a, you bought a gift for your grandson or your son and you had it shipped to a store across the state and then the parent went and picked it up in the store and put it under the tree and you've, you've saved shipping costs, you've saved time and it's so convenient. And this, this kind of started with Target actually understanding that parents could now buy things for their children in college and have it shipped to their children's dorm room and not have to carry all that stuff and pack it in the car and drive it across the country to college. Absolutely. 
So um, click and collect is something that 70% of customers use, have used so far this year at any given time. And a lot of customers will even seek out stores that have click and collect and turn away from stores that don't. And what's more important, not only do the customers want this, but the retailers are finding that almost 90% of people, when they go to pick up that item in store, they'll buy something else. So you're increasing your sales and you're obviously reducing shipping costs, saving that money. So you're increasing the profit margin on that item you sold. And one other thing that um, really surprised me as I really looked into click and collect is that frequent click and collect users return fewer of the items they bought to the tune of, I think, an average of 19 per year versus 39 per year for non-click and collect users. So that is, an, that is a substantial benefit to retailers. Absolutely. You know, you just mentioned Target. I think this is a great example. I just mentioned how I'm a little bit more remote. My family, the entire family loves to go to Target. You know, we, we basically are about an hour or so from the nearest Target. Oh, wow. Yes. So we make it a big trip and we buy a lot of things. So sometimes there's an item and we want to make sure if we're going to go down there that they have it. And we will do that. There are items that we have picked up. And then while we're there, we do the rest of our shopping. So mm -hmm. uh, I totally understand that. And it makes a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, I see things all the time now. Uh, the local grocery store I have, people are too busy to get to the grocery store. And so they are making their orders and then the orders are getting placed by the grocery store and then they go and just pick it up. Absolutely. And it really ties into harmonizing with your customers. So what if you decide, I love that red, red sweater. I'm not sure it'll fit me right. Uh, I want to go try it on. But the last time I went and tried something on, they were out of my size. So you reserve it. What if you could reserve it online and similar using the same click and collect system, it's set aside for you, you show up and you know it's going to be there. So you're not going to be disappointed and you can try it on and you're saving your time. You're not driving around from store to store looking for that that sweater in a size small. So um, click and collect is, a, is such a valuable tool for really dialing in the convenience factor for your customers. I agree. What are some of the other tools? Well, one of them is going back to that uh, stagnant birth rate. So we're not making tomorrow's shoppers. At the same time, you have shareholders who want their 10% their return on investment each year. So how do you grow the business when there is no new customers coming into the playing field in which to grow? So the, the obvious way is you expand to embrace other age groups. So the luxury of, of targeting that 33-year-old that soccer mom is kind of going out the window because what if you can target her and her mother and her grandmother and her daughter? And now you have, for the first time in, I think, the history of shopping, you have up to six generations actively shopping in stores. And you have this dynamic, too, at the same time where multi-generational households are on the rise. So more and more different age groups are living together. So you have shopping and purchase decisions being made in ways that are very unpredictable. You don't know who is influencing that decision to buy. Is a daughter picking something out for her grandmother? Is a grandmother picking something up for uh, her niece or, or nephew? You want to design your shopping experience regardless of channel so that 
boomers and millennials and Gen Z are all able and happy to navigate that journey. How on earth do you design a store that appeals to all age groups? <laughs> so you're seeing that more now where there may have been uh, we'll say, you know, a store brand that was primarily focused on one generation is now coming to realize that they're missing an opportunity if they don't look at several different generations. They do. Uh, there's a lot of talk about, uh, you know, targeting millennials in their stores and other stores are talking about Gen Z. How do we bring Gen Z into our store? But boomers are still comprising almost 50% of the marketplace and they control almost 70% of the disposable income in the country. They're set to inherit trillions of dollars, which means for the next decade, they're still going to control the majority of disposable income. So turning away from the boomer is, is really turning away from the people with the money. Um, but at the same time, their purchase decisions are increasingly being influenced by the Gen Z or the millennial living in their household. You know, everyone wants to be hip and fun and everyone wants to try new things. And what better than to ask your daughter to help you pick something out for, for the house or for, for your closet. And that's happening more than it has ever really happened. You know, there's somebody I know now who doesn't have a smartphone device. Doesn't matter what age, they all have smartphone devices and they're always looking for, oh, I didn't know about this feature or I didn't know I could be doing this or, oh, this can work with my device or, you know, that type of thing. So I, mm -hmm. I do definitely see that spreading and germinating throughout all of the different age groups, especially as my kids get older, they're influencing some of my decisions. Absolutely. And it's not even just age groups. So if you design now, I call them contextual journeys. So you're shopping not by age, but by context, the context of are you in a hurry? Are you looking to browse? Or uh, I'm buying for, for a gift, I'm buying for myself, or the context even of I've just landed a new job and I need new clothes, or my, uh, my friend is having a baby, you know, their life stage context, or money context, or just situational context. And those contextual journeys really cross age boundaries. So designing to help people navigate however they, they want to absorb that journey and help them understand the, the benefits at the end of the side. Instead of marketing products, market solutions, and market um, how this is going to benefit your lifestyle. What does this feel like when I get it home and use it? And that is really going to appeal to all age groups. And it's going to help everyone understand what they're getting and, and what they're buying. And that is going to make them very loyal to the, to the retailers. Now, do you have any examples of some of the things that you've seen the transformation of your clients when they adapt the harmonic retail principles, um, some of the success stories. Absolutely. Nordstrom would probably be an excellent example. So we've worked on the design creation of a new type of fitting room for their New York store that just opened. And this was all based on kind of the principles and the observations around what's happening in harmonic retail. And one of the things we're seeing is the accessibility of information online is tremendous. You've probably experienced it. You go online, mattress shopping is kind <laughs> of a nightmare. You go online, just curious about the Casper mattress, and you're bombarded with ads from every mattress manufacturer. And suddenly, it, it's hard to understand what's the best choice for me. Where do I start? What do I do? Because of that, that 
tremendous amount of information available, just even through your mobile phone, suddenly the whole world is available to you, decision time on making a purchase has gone up by 20%. And nowhere is that more obvious than in a fitting room. And so people are going into fitting rooms, they're trying things on, they're Snapchatting or FaceTiming with friends to try to make a decision. They're, they're surfing to see, you know, is this available somewhere else? Is there, what other colors is it in? And that may, means that dwell time in the fitting room has increased exponentially. Well, that's fascinating. And so how do you accommodate that? And in addition to that, how do you get people to try things on more? Because trying things on is, is just another step closer to the path to the purchase decision. And in addition to that, it is another step closer to not having that item just purchased, tried on at home and returned. <laughs> so we created the fitting room system to be extremely modular, very portable to have technology integrated into it. It has smart mirrors so you can adjust the, the lighting to fit whatever circumstance. Are you shopping for work? Are you shopping for evening? Hmm. Um, and also to have call buttons so you can push a button and engage with uh, a sales clerk if you want to see other sides. And you hmm. can even go online with iPads and check and see what other color does this come in? Or, oh, this is a little bit baggy. Does it come in a smaller size? And if you like it and they even don't have it in your store necessarily, order it and have it sent to your home because you know you love it. That's great. What would you say is something that people might be surprised to learn about this topic? Different age groups are really more alike than they are different. And so it is possible to design a harmonic retail experience. And a good example would be the circular economy. Um, Gen Z kind of inspired that uh, move towards buying secondhand clothing and um, renting clothing instead of purchasing it. But Millennials and boomers immediately saw the value of that and have jumped on board. And, you know, full disclosure, I am a boomer, so um, I may be a little bit biased, but <laughs> I am also an avid um, ThreadUp fan. I shop on ThreadUp and I even send clothes in to sell. And I think it's fabulous. And I know um, our marketing uh, manager, she is a, a Rent the Runway uh, user. So the, the thing that surprises me most is that different age groups are more similar than they are different. And the vast majority of people are more alike than they are different. And so uh, if you think about technology, for example, boomers invented the computer. I heard, I heard a professor talking about this, and it just fascinated me. It's like, boomers invented the computer. They used to do math by hand. <laughs> I mean, these are not technology fools. They, they are good. And in fact, senior boomers comprise more than 40% of, of computer purchases and mo mobile phone plans in the country today. So everyone helps each other and contributes to the harmony of our retail experience as a whole. And retailers really just need to embrace that and, and not try to target any one group, just target a common sense evolutionary shopping experience that allows a shopper to absorb information however they choose to absorb it. And just one quick example is mattress shopping. I'll go back to that again. When you think about how you buy a mattress, the things that, you know, one person might go in and be looking for a certain price point. Another person might be saying, I only have room for a queen size bed. I really want a queen size bed. I just want to see things in a queen size. Somebody else shops by material. I want a foam mattress. I don't want a foam mattress. I want an inner spring. 
Um, and then yet somebody else says, I, I want a certain attribute from, I want my mattress to go up and down. I want my, I want to be able to adjust the hardness of my bed. And my partner beside me is, is a different uh, softness. There are infinite ways that you can shop for a mattress. So you need to design your online and your social media and your store experience to allow a shopper to navigate the informational buying journey however works best for them. And if you can do that, then you are going to be able to harmonize with your customer and they're going to become a very loyal shopper to you. So Deanne, a retailer out there, they're looking to engage in a different way, you know, become that harmonic retail entity. How do they start that journey? What should they do? The first step is to understand that it is a journey. It's not going to happen overnight. You can't just institute a whole bunch of tools and then be harmonic. It, uh, so the first step is really creating a roadmap. And that's one of the places we usually start when we engage with a new client. And we're, we're looking at the marketplace and understanding what their challenges are, watching the economic political gyrations happening to understand how that's impacting their customers because it's all we're all connected. And then helping them create that roadmap to evolve towards harmonic retail. What can they do today? What makes sense for them to start right now? What do they already have in place that could be adapted slightly? And then understanding what they need to start layering on as they move forward so that they understand at each phase what they can do to increase the amount of harmony that they can uh, offer to their customers. Before we go, is there anything we haven't covered or maybe another takeaway you'd like to leave for a listener of this podcast? Going into the reason why it started, Harmonic Retail, is because you consumers have higher and higher expectations, and yet there are fewer and fewer of uh, consumers available in the marketplace each year unless you start broadening your reach to encompass other age groups. But the reason is for, for doing all of that is the end result is lifetime customer value. And so because there are fewer shoppers available, you're competing against more retailers and direct-to-consumer retailers and different types of retailers and global retailers now more than ever. So keeping a customer is so much more important than bringing in a new customer. And the value is extremely uh, great. When you look at the cost of landing a new customer, it costs three times more to get a new customer to walk through your door than to keep an, an existing customer happy. And if you look at the spend rates, a customer that you've had for a while who's loyal to you, they're going to spend, the stats show, up to 68% more in your store by year three than they, than they would in year one. And so all of that is the reason why you're trying to harmonize with these customers is to keep them because as they become loyal to you, they're just going to spend more and more with you. They're going to be predictable in what they buy. So it's going to lower your operating costs. It, it's a win-win all around. Yeah. Customer retention is so critical. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, geez, this, this seems like it's just the beginning of a whole series of uh, <laughs> episodes that we should do, but uh, I, I'm not going to keep you any further. So uh, my, many thanks to my guest, Deanne Campbell, Director of Retail Strategy and Development at Harbor Retail. Thank you, Deanne, for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much. This has been very enjoyable. Thank you. All right. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Retail Industry Podcast brought to you by MarketScale. If you liked what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries. 
There you can subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from a variety of different industries. Make sure you leave a rating and a comment wherever you listen to your podcast content. I'm your host, James Kent. Thanks for listening.